What is up, Oasis people? There we go. You had me worried for a second. I bet you were all so glad when that last song ended and I didn't come up to give the announcements. I know you all took a breath and were like, not this guy again, but sorry, you're stuck with me again. Um, But I'm glad to be here. I'm excited that you are all here. Thanks for checking it out after a long spring break. Um, If we haven't got to meet before, my name is Dylan Peterson. I'm the young adult and creative resident pastor here. And I'm excited to bring the word tonight and part three of Toxic Theology. So when I bring the announcements every week, I only get to tell you a little bit about my life, which is actually none. Um, So I'm going to start, before I get started, just with a story. So you get to learn a little bit more about me. Um, But before that, has anyone ever struggled with FOMO? Fear of missing out? Anybody? There should be a whole lot of hands in this room. Come on. (laughs) So I am a huge, huge sucker, and I struggle with FOMO. I've always been afraid of missing out. Um, And if you take it anywhere from four to eight years back, all the way into high school, um, I hated high school sports, primarily basketball and football. Um, I think those are the two worst sports. If you have beef, we can talk about that later. Um, But I hated going to football and basketball games during high school, but yet I was at every single one. I didn't miss it because I had a fear of missing out. See, I had lost myself in comparison. It went farther than just a fear. It turned out to comparison, to walking into class after the big game, and being worried that if I wasn't at the game, someone was going to ask, hey, did you see what what happened at the game? I'd be like, nah, sorry, I was at home. I missed out. I wasn't there. And they're like, oh, okay. And then you just have to awkwardly navigate this conversation. But if I was there, I didn't have to to wrestle with the awkwardness. I'd say, yeah, I was there. It was great. It was awesome. We crushed. But then, if I wasn't there, I needed to perform. So I had to be there. Because I didn't want to be lost in comparison, I had to perform. All throughout high school, elementary school, middle school, I had always struggled with being perfect. That was the identity that was placed on me. That was the expectation. And so I always felt like I had to hold up to that. And so I always came with the expectation that I had to be perfect, so I needed to perform. And this was a case like any other. So I just wanted to have fun. I didn't want to miss out on the college experience. I wanted to tell stories, which if some of you remember, none of us remember stories from high school sports games. Um, But that was a part of who I am. A a huge part of my family is telling stories. Um, my, My grandma, she was notorious that if you got her in any spot, if you walked into her house and you sat down on the couch, you are there for four hours listening to a story about how my relatives moved from Norway, went through Ellis Island, homesteaded in Minnesota, and then moved to Rapid City, South Dakota. You were getting four hours of that. No joke. So telling stories is a huge, huge part of my, my family. So it's just what I do. And so when there's an opportunity to tell a story, I'm not going to miss out on that. But if I just sit at home and I'd be boring, how can I ever have a to- story to tell? So my goal, and the reason I tell you this, is because I'm sure you probably know that this generation is crippled by FOMO, that we don't want to miss out on anything, and especially in this stage of life. College, young adult life, we are so terrified of missing out. We're in a hard place. We've got career decisions. I want to do this, and this is really fun, but also like this pays really well, so that'd be kind of nice. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to miss out on both. And so I don't know what to do. And don't even get me started about relationships. Who are we going to miss out on? Come on. Someone. 
Oh, we don't want to miss out. We want to be married to this person. That person makes a lot of money. Stuff like that. And then we fuel our FOMO. We make it even worse by being prone to overthink. I know I for sure. Anyone overthink? Yep, yeah, that's like over half the room. But we're prone to overthink. And so a seemingly innocent desire can lead us down a totally dark rabbit hole real quick. Let me give you an example. Your friends are going out, but there's a big test tomorrow and you need to stay home and study. But there's that cutie in class that you really want to talk to, but you don't got the confidence. Like you're like, ah, they're way out of my league. But I can't shoot my shot. But I'm also still hung up on that one person because we kind of talked for a while and I'm not really sure where we're at. Like, we're, like, we're kind of flirting, but like she kind of ghosted me. Like, I don't really know what's happening. So do I hold on there? Just screw it. I need some liquid courage. So let's head on down to the bar and I'll just have one or two drinks and then I'll come back and I'll study. Simple as that. I'll just leave a little bit early. I won't stay late. I'll just go and, uh, and amuse my friends for a little bit. But... What if the one is there? Like that one person that was made for me, that completes me, what if they're there? And they come after I leave. Like I can't miss out on that. And so then we stay the whole night. But what if also my friends have a ton of fun and I'm the one who's sitting at home being the boring one studying? Like what am I supposed to do then? Like I'm going to be boring, I'm going to be all alone. And so in 60 seconds... We've rationalized that if I don't go to the bar tonight and have a couple of drinks with my friends, that I'm going to be boring and die alone, right? Yeah, you get what I'm going. But let me tell you, that is not true. That's not true. Nobody's telling you that. But is that how we want to spend our 20s? Stuck in the tension of the fear of missing out and overthinking. Is that where we want to spend it? And so that's where we get to tonight. Our toxic theology for tonight is the saying, have fun in your 20s. Have fun in your 20s. It's a a pretty innocent thing to say, right? Like we're young, we can have a little fun, like we've got the energy, we can do it. But why would someone say this? Why would someone say, just go have fun in your 20s? I mean, they would probably say it because you can grow up later, right? Have fun in your 20s, mess around, live out the college life, kind of play in limbo after college, see if you can find a job, do something, and then figure it out. Then get it all sorted together, and then you'll, you'll grow up. We're actually seeing this take effect. We're seeing how this, this saying has impacted the world. Um, when, when you look at the average age of marriage now, it's up around in the 30s, where the average age used to be around low 20s. Now it's up in the 30s. The first time home buyers is up to 36. And we've seen a steady increase in both of these for a while. Because people just want to have fun in their 20s and they want to grow up later. And so a seemingly innocent saying, to just have fun, says a whole lot more about what we're being told. You see, we've been fed this lie all of our life, and when partnered with the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden, that living in God's ways, living in God's design, 
is not the best for you, God doesn't desire your best, then we fall into sin. So in Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created all things. He created them good. He created humankind, and he created them very good. So as God has created, he made things perfect. He made us to be perfect. But then in Genesis 3, as some of you may know, the serpent then questions God's motives with Eve. Satan says things like, are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure God really meant that? When God said, if you eat from the fruit of the tree of life, that you would certainly die? No, I don't think so. God wouldn't want your best. So Eve eats the fruit because she thinks it is good for food and desirable for wisdom. And here is where we have the first act of sin. You see, sin is fun until it's not. Sin is a whole bunch of fun until it's not. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Sleeping around with a different person every night is fun until you try to get married and you try to have relationship with this one person for the rest of your life. But it's really, really hard to settle down because you're still attached to so many people. Getting drunk is fun until the morning after when you're laying in bed and sick to your stomach, unable to do even some basic things. For some of y'all, I know this is, this is going to hit. This hits for me. Buying a new outfit or hitting that, letting that new Amazon package hit the front door. It's real fun. Until your bank account is empty and you're working 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours just to make ends meet. It's a whole lot of fun. Or even getting revenge on the friend that you thought did you wrong. It's a whole lot of fun. Until you're left alone without any friends because they've all left you. Because you're the one that's in fact doing the wrong. So we've made this mistake of making fun the bullseye. So let me walk, let me walk you through this. Um, you said you want to put up the next one? So fun. We're going to walk through the definition of fun. So fun, this is what we know. Late 17th century is when it came about, uh, which means enjoyment, amusement, or lighthearted pleasure. Okay? Seems great. That's what we know and love it to be. Um, and, but then it moves on and... We go back a little bit farther, pre-17th century, where fun means to cheat or to hoax. It's a little weird. That doesn't seem great. Um, and then moving on, if we, if we move to the next one, then we go back to Middle English and we get to fawn, um, which means fool or a fool. And then if we move one more, uh, we get to Middle English, which is also fawn on a different branch, which is to make a fool of or to be a fool. That, that doesn't seem as lighthearted as this one. To make a fool of or to be a fool doesn't seem as great as lighthearted pleasure. And so this is where we come to the tension in this saying, have fun in your 20s. That we expect the fun, lighthearted pleasure, but in fact we've traded it for the Middle English of fun, to make or to be a fool. So fun has a little bit of a darker past. But, I mean, we're just young, dumb, and broke, am I right? Shout out to Khalid for that great song way back in the day. 
But that's like the banner of our society. Anytime anything we are asked of, we are asked of anything. We're just young, dumb, and broke. We can't fix it, right? If we ever mess up, ah, oh, sorry, just young, dumb, and broke. But if you flip through the Proverbs, and we talk about this foolish, scriptures have a high value on foolishness. So I'll give you a couple examples in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3.35 says, The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. And Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their volley. A little harsh, right? But we're just having fun. I'm not a dog returning to my vomit, right? But that's what we do. We keep coming back. And we keep getting entrapped in the sin that we label fun. You guys feeling this yet? It's a little heavy. So we need some hope, right? If we need some hope, where do we go? Luckily, you're in a church, so we're going to talk about Jesus. So Jesus, he didn't come just so that you could go to heaven. Jesus didn't come just so you could go to heaven. There's a fancy theological term for that, and it's called the reductionistic gospel. It reduces the gospel to only one vein of what it is in its fullness. So a reductionistic gospel says Jesus came so, only you, so you can only go to heaven. That is it. That's not the case. See, Jesus came so that we could be healed of our brokenness and be free from the slavery of sin. Wherever you've come from, whatever you've done, whatever you've been, doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. There is change available. There is healing available. There is transformation available in Jesus so that we can be freed from the things that we are enslaved to, the sin that we are enslaved to. Throwing it back to last semester, Brennan preached on a message called You Are Redeemed. It's a wonderful message. It's an amazing message. So, of course, you should go listen to it. But let me sum it up. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, and whoever you've been, has never made you too far gone from God's love. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Absolutely zero. We love and we serve an infinite God and there's nothing too big for him. In the way that you cannot earn your salvation, there's nothing that you can do to lose it. You can't do anything to make God too far away. You see, God is in the business of transformation. That's what he does. So, real quick, I'm going to give you some homework. You ready? You're going to want to write this down. Read Isaiah 61 sometime this week. Set out some time and just spend some time with God walking through Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because God pretty much lays out his entire plan for humanity. It goes a little something like this. Um, 
God, he takes the prisoners, the captives, the broken. He heals them. He, he binds up their wounds. But he doesn't just leave them there. He takes them in. He binds up their wounds. He heals them. But then he turns them back to bring the same healing, the same redemption to the place that they came from. The Isaiah 61 finishes with they, and God says that they will be ministers. They'll be priests of the living God. You will be co-laborers with God. That means we'll walk alongside, partnered with God, doing the same work. Working with him to bring about his kingdom. His kingdom is here. It is present. When Jesus came, he said that the kingdom of God is near. Again, another fancy theological thing. It's called already but not yet. God's kingdom is already here. It is available for you to experience. You can have God's presence dwell within you by his Holy Spirit. It's here, but it's also not yet. It's what we read about in the coming of God's kingdom in Revelation. So it's here, but it's not yet. So you can experience God right now. I pray that you are experiencing God literally right now. I pray that he speaks to you. I pray that you have ears to listen. So now, kind of laid out the problem, right? I think we've hopefully got some of it figured out. So, what are we supposed to do then with our 20s? I feel like that's a question that nobody knows. Am I right? What are we supposed to do? So, this is where we're going to get into the text. So, if you want to open to 1 Timothy 4, we're going to be in verse 7 and 12. Um, But I'm just going to give you a little context while you flip there. So, Timothy, he's pretty much a young kid. Um, The scholars would say that Timothy's anywhere around in his 20s. So, pretty much us. Uh, And so, he's around our age, and he's oftentimes referred to as the spiritual son of Paul. Not the literal son, the spiritual one, um, because uh, Timothy was a student and a friend of Paul. They interacted consistently, um, and and Paul discipled Timothy. And Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus was one of the major hubs in the entire New Testament church. When the church had just started to spring up after Jesus had raised from the dead. Ephesus was one of the epicenters of where this was all happening. And Timothy, a kid, a 20-year-old, was leading it. And so, if you get into 1st and 2nd Timothy, these are Paul's letters to Timothy, instructing him what to do. And so, before I read, let me pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to open and to learn from it. God, would you speak through it? Would you open our hearts, our mind, and our ears as we read your word, Father? We thank you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and nothing and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value of all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
That is why we labor and strive. We've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what are we supposed to do with our youth? That's the question. I believe uh, Paul answers it here in 1 Timothy. So verse 7, let's break it down. Don't get stuck in bad theology. Uh, Verse 7 says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself to be godly. Now, a few things kind of just sum up everything that we could teach. Uh, Have nothing with godless myths and old wives' tales. The reason... Uh, Paul was sending this letter to Timothy in the church of Ephesus was they were having a problem with a whole bunch of bad theology circulating around in the church. Um, if I may take the liberty to uh, shift some wording around, I would say Paul was sending this letter to Timothy to correct some toxic theology in the church at Ephesus. And he starts it off with have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. That last part, train yourself to be godly. I mean, that, I could just leave, right? All right, train yourself to be godly. That's how you should live in your 20s. Right? That, that's, that's what Paul is saying, right? But it's a warning to stay away from this toxic theology that can harm us. This is, this is where the importance of a small group or close friends plays a huge role. People that you trust enough to call you out when you start to live into this stuff. When you start partying up like it's your last 20s ever, you need someone to call you out. When you start following your heart, you need someone to say, hey, I don't think you should follow your heart. This is the importance of having a Christian community around you. This is why it was so important for Paul, for Timothy to have Paul. So this bad theology could be corrected. Train yourself to be godly. This is where spiritual disciplines come in. This can sound like a lot. Spiritual disciplines is this huge bundle of things that you can uncover. But most importantly, keep it simple. When it comes to the spiritual disciplines, simplicity is its best. Being committed to reading the word. Being committed to prayer. To silence. To listen to God. That is what is helpful. So my desire for my 20s is to be formed in godliness. And what does that require? It requires constant practice of these spiritual disciplines. Paul kind of shouts it out and he says, physical training benefits a little, but godliness has value in this life and the next. He says, yeah, make sure you hit those gains in the gym, but make sure you're hitting those spiritual gains too. You got to work out your faith. You need to train yourself to be godly. It matters who you're becoming because God cares deeply about who you are becoming. You see, everything that we are doing now leads to something in the future. Let me give you an example. Um, For the Lenten season, uh, you usually fast something. Uh, For me, I gave up social media because I am so prone to spend hours on social media and it's the worst thing ever. And so 
without thinking, I had trained myself in every dull moment to uh, go to social media. That was the way I trained myself. Ah, if I'm bored, hit the Instagram, see what's happening. Oh, no one's talking to me. Perfect. Go check the snaps. I had trained myself in this way, and I I didn't think about it. I don't just say, hey, I'm going to try and get better at opening Instagram. I'm going to try and get better at uh, opening Snapchat. But then I started to get rid of it, and then I noticed in dull moments, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have nothing to do. Where's my social media? And so without realizing, I had trained myself. And so the little things that you do lead to something in the future. We'll keep checking on verse 10. It says, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. So here we go. You gotta endure the growing pains. Anybody remember those suckers? Oh, growing pains are the worst. There were days where I would lay in bed and cry people because my legs hurt so bad. Growing pains were the worst. But then I had to think. I had to remember why I was going through them. Because, heck, I was going to be tall, baby. Six foot, here I come. I was going to endure those growing pains. And it sucked. But without growing pains, there's no growth. Paul says the words labor and strive. Um, which, of course, that means it, it takes work. This faith it takes work. It's not an easy one. Brandon will talk about that later. Christian life is not an easy life. But it is the best life that you could have. This is hard. Other translations of the text will say labor and suffer. That's a little intense. Labor and suffer. As I read that, I reflected back to Mark 8, verses 34 and 35. When Jesus is talking with the disciples, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Again, aggressive. It's hard. But it's worth it. What Jesus is saying is to deny yourself. Let go of the confidence that you have. Let go of the righteousness that you hold. Let go of the strength that you hold. There's... It's easy for me when I am doing my work to exclude God. It's easy for me to catch in the rhythm and be like, ah, I got this, I've done this a million times. I rely on my own strength, my own power, on my own abilities. And there are times where I fail. And that's okay. Because it is by his strength, it is by his power and his ability that I can do all things. And take up your cross. We have to be conformed in the same way of Christ. Who gave himself to the will of the Father and being obedient to the end. Continuing on, verse 12. Y'all are, y'all are excited for this. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Some of you are like, woo! 
New memory verse, throw that in the pocket. Anytime someone comes at me because I'm a kid, I'm throwing some scripture at them, right? Be like, next time boss comes up, it's like, why you do it like that? Be like, don't look down on me because I'm young, right? This is really important. I think Paul says some amazing things here. See, we are to set an example. We're to live in a way that deserves respect. We're to do it in these five ways. In speech, James 1, 19 through 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James 1.26 continues and says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. We must live in a way that deserves respect. Number two in conduct, Matthew 7-12. Y'all have definitely heard this one. So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I know some of y'all saw it right up there, the golden rule. Am I right? Jesus said that. This is saying, not do what I say. This is do what I do. This is leading by example. Don't ask something that you wouldn't do yourself. Number three, in love. Y'all know exactly where I'm going with this one. If anyone knows love in the Bible, they perfectly meet at 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in verse four, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always pervert preserves, and love never fails. Love never fails. Use this as a check. Put, am I where love is? Am I patient? Am I kind? Use it as a check. Next, in faith. We must lead in faith. Now, let me tell you, this is more than a cross necklace and a cross tattoo. I got both. That's not it. It's actually living out your faith. It's truly seeking Jesus in all things. It's desiring God's best and God's presence in all things. There are 168 hours in the week. Spend one here, maybe one on Sunday morning, maybe one in your small group. Where do you spend the rest? How do you trust when things get hard? When those growing pains come, how do you exercise your faith? Finally, in purity. Um, Paul references this to Timothy later on in, in chap- uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Whole lot of twos. He says, flee the de- evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, if I say purity, of course, we're obviously going to jump to the sex talk, right? But this is not just the sex talk. This is all things harmful to you. Uh, Purity in the Greek that is used uh, in 1 Timothy 4.12 is 
Hagnia. Hagnia? Hagnia. And it means sinlessness of life. There is one line of definition. It is purity, comma, sinlessness of life. Paul's, Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy to run from all things sin. Run to righteousness. Because that is what builds us up in maturity in Christ. Remember, Timothy was a 20-something leading the church at Ephesus. And Paul was empowering him with these words. Follow in this way. Don't waste these years. Um, Matthew Henry, he's, uh, he writes a commentary. He's a theologian from way back in the day. He says, uh, when reading this text, that your life should be marked by this. Our love for the, world, the word, the way we live, the love that we show, the faith that we have, and the purity that we hold. That is what our life should be marked by. So don't waste these years. I got one last story for you. This is personal, so if I cry, sorry. Um, These past few years have been really hard. And I've had to make some decisions. And I've had to decide if I want to live into having fun in my 20s or not. Um, Two, three years ago, the same week I was planning to call my parents um, to say that I was going to drop out of college at SDSU to pursue ministry and move across the state to Brookings, South Dakota with no hope of a job. My parents beat me to it to call to tell me that they were getting a divorce after 22 years. Not a fun phone call. I was hurt deep within my heart and for two plus years I struggled with apathy for my family. I lived in to the half fun of my 20s. I lived into that lie. I said, you know what? I'm young. My parents aren't cool. My family isn't cool. I don't need them. I can move across the entire state and be away from them. So I can live the life that I want. Now we come to 2023. At the beginning of this year, um, in January, I unexpectedly lost my grandma. I got a phone call. I was standing right up there in that balcony. Got a call from my dad saying, hey, your grandma has ripped her aorta in half and she's not going to make it through the night. My grandma is the one that would sit you down and tell you four hours of my relatives She was a huge impact on my faith. She showed me what godly marriage looked like. She showed me what it looked like to love Jesus for 60 plus years. She was gone. And all I had was the last time I said bye to her at Christmas. She was totally healthy and then she was gone. And my heart was broken. I watched my dad go through it. Not even a month later, I lost my great uncle. My grandma's sister, her husband, had passed away. A man that had gone before me that went to the same seminary that I'm now going to. A man who loved Jesus, who went on many missions trips, 
who served in Russia, in Thailand, being a missionary. He went to school to know about Jesus just because he loved him. And again, he was gone. And I watched my family again wrecked by loss. This past spring break, I decided to go home and surprise my family. I, I'm so glad I did. My grandpa that was married to my grandma that we just lost. He's not doing great. <laughs> I sat with him in the hospital for most of my time home. Again, watching my dad fall to pieces. But the best part about me going home was that I got to sit on the couch with my dad and talk to him about his Bible study. He's gotten involved in his church back home. He's gotten to know and love Jesus. This Christmas, my mom went to church for the first time in years since I was a kid. I realized how badly I messed up with being apathetic to my family. Saying I'm just a kid, I don't need them. Guys, living into this life, it's, it sucks. I love my family. I'm trying to make ends meet again. Trying to restore a relationship where it was broken. The biggest celebration I have, my celebration for the year was that my, my parents come to know Jesus again. And let me tell you, a million times over, I would rather go sit in my parents' house and talk to them about Jesus than go on any trip, go to any place, because I know my parents being in heaven will be a lot more rewarding than me going on some crazy trip and being able to post it on Instagram. There is so much impact that God can do. You are never, once again, you are never too far gone to be used by God. I have no idea why God chose me after being apathetic to my family. To get to walk alongside them in their faith. You can do the same. Because the same God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives inside those who believe. So walk with him for all the days of your life. Growing in godliness. Becoming like Christ. And it will go into eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for hard conversations. God, we thank you that even in the, 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 the weight of how deep sin is, God, that you still bring better. God, we thank you that there's nothing that you cannot do. There's no person that you cannot use. And so, God, would we build our life on you 
times of growth, through times of pain, through times of struggle. God, would you continue to build us? Would you make the desires of your heart the desires of ours, God? Would you go with us now? We thank you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.